Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. guest, huh? <laughs> Look, I, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but, um, you know, it was on Facebook that uh, an esteemed art professor at Lewis Clark State College uh, told their, their students in class that Walt Disney, who spent some time in this valley because his, his wife grew up here, um, based that whole thing on his recollection of the beauty of this valley. Hmm, not too shabby, huh? Yeah, Lewiston and Clarkston, not famous even with Disney's help. <laughs> talk on, talk on. Uh, the reason that I showed that to you really is because um, I fell into the same trap that an awful lot of Americans have just a few years ago. I let my family pressure me into going to Disney World. Yep. So we packed up the kids and we headed all the way across the country uh, for this great Disney experience. And there, uh, right in the heart of, of of a whole collection of theme parks, is the most important, the granddaddy of them all, the Richard Petty driving experience. And where grown men and women can pay ridiculous amounts of money to drive in a circle. And I wanted to do it, and Laura said I should be a good dad instead. And so I went to the Magic Kingdom with my children, the real granddaddy of all of those parks. And um, while I'm not the biggest fan of giant crowds, and I've, I've been to enough amusement parks that I, I kind of find them all the same, uh, the, the Magic Kingdom really is kind of a cut above and, and they promise to you this, this incredible experience, a, a kingdom that is, in fact, magical. They, they bill it as the happiest place on earth. Those of you who know me, can you imagine my disappointment when I found out they don't even allow hunting there? <laughs> you don't want to be the guy walking around carrying a gun at Disney World, okay? Just don't be that guy. Uh, they, they, they promise you this magical kingdom, and it, it kind of comes off as that, because you, you walk down the street there, and, and, and you run into animals that can talk, and some of them um, wear pants, and some of them wear only shirts, kind of socially awkward. Um, they, they're not really animals. They're people in costumes. And as you go on down the street, you'll run into just this proliferation of princesses. I mean, I didn't know there were so many princesses in this world, but all these royal little ladies dancing around and singing and talking to the birds. and, and Except they're not really princesses. They're, they're just actresses. And then you can go into some buildings, and, and you are surrounded by, by just incredibly ornate, fanciful things. And and as you sit down to a meal, it seems like you're getting ready to have the the choicest of fare. 
But really what you get is something like fast food. It's just, you know, surrounded by all kinds of other things. They bill it as the happiest place on earth. They bill it as the the magic kingdom. And I, I think if you're this big, it's pretty magical. But you know, it's it's not really magic. It's it's just pretend. Nothing in the world wrong with that, but it isn't magic. It's just a pretend kingdom. See, you can't uh, become a citizen of the magic kingdom. Uh, You might get a job there, but at the end of the day, they run absolutely everybody out of the kingdom, turn off the lights, and lock the gates. Because it isn't really a kingdom. You can't live in it. What we celebrate on Easter Sunday is a person who came and made some pretty incredible and magical claims. Jesus claimed, first of all, that he was, in fact, the Son of God. He was claiming deity for himself. And he lived his life in such a way that the people closest to him and the strangers alike looked at him and said, I don't see how he's doing the tricks. They they looked at at it like it was a magic show, but magic shows just involve sleight of hand, and sooner or later, somebody can tell you how it's done, and the miracles were never solved as tricks. And then he spoke in ways that were so incredibly powerful and insightful, having not been through any sort of official academy, that people said, I don't know how a guy as backwoodsy as him could come to understand the things that he knows about specific people like me, like like he knows my own thoughts and he knows my own sins and my hopes. And quickly, people began to say, He might actually be, he claims he is. There were, of course, skeptics, uh, as quite frankly there should be with with anybody who's making those kinds of claims. One of the people who had uh, a very skeptical view of Jesus and of his teachings and of the people who followed him was a guy named Paul. Paul was so convinced of, of the opposite of that, so convinced that Jesus was just a charlatan, a a, a faker, or a a mentally ill, deluded person, that he decided that this, this faith needed to be stamped out. And so he started going after the followers of Jesus, arresting them, bringing them to trial, and eventually to execution. This ardent uh, opposer to Jesus and the faith one day, however, encountered the resurrected Christ in a deeply spiritual experience. And he pivoted just like that and became a follower. I want to share with you this morning some things that this this one formerly opposed and then eventually dedicated. I want to share with you some things that he had to say about Jesus and following him. Uh, He was writing a letter to uh, some folks in a 
part of the ancient Mediterranean world called Colossae. They were people who had initially heard the, the Jesus message and had believed, but then some other folks came along and the, the, next, uh, the next wagon train into town brought some folks who had a, a different worldview and a different religion, and they said, ah, maybe we'll take that one, and, and they tried it on for size, and they tried to marry some of that up with some of the, the teachings of Jesus, and, and Paul, who knew them, wrote a letter back to them and uh, trying to, to help them find themselves and their way again. He wrote these words, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Uh, Folks from different world religions, uh, unfortunately, seem to bicker an awful lot. But among the things that the people from all of the different world religions uh, seem to agree upon is that for many of us, much of life seems a little bit empty. There are some times, of course, where, where joy and excitement come our way, but in the moments when life slows down and, and we get a little bit thoughtful and introspective, it seems at times a little bit hollow. And because of that, we tend to then busy ourselves rather than think about some kind of meaningless existence. So we'll work, and we'll work extra long and extra hard, hoping that increased productivity will make me feel like I'm purposeful and then give me a sense of fulfillment. Uh, Some of us decide, no, work's not doing that for me in any measure, so we throw ourselves into our recreational pursuits, and and one hobby after another, or this hobby to the nth degree, and to the place that I'm working as hard at my playing as I am at my working, and I sure find myself exhausted, and I find all of my time has been taken up, but I don't find myself any closer to feeling a fullness of spirit, fulfillment. Some of us, after we've, we've wrestled with work and we've wrestled with play and neither of those things nor both of them together has given us the, the, the internal payoff, we then turn to other things. There's, there's something inside of us that just kind of drags us the direction of indulging in some things that we know full well will be damaging to us and to other people, but they seem to, to offer some, at least some short-term pleasure, and so we, we go there knowing full well that there can be some consequences in our lives. Many people have testified that work, recreation, and sinful indulgence still leaves them coming up empty. And as Paul was writing to his friends in Colossae, he was saying, you don't have to live an empty life because this man, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, a human being full of of God, full of God's very nature, he came and made it possible for human beings to experience, one, a relationship with God, and thereby, deep personal peace and fulfillment. The followers of Jesus believe that it's possible to get a real, deep, and lasting answer to the questions that haunt us, the question of the the emptiness of our own souls. 
me tell you a few things that we believe about Jesus. We believe, first of all, that Jesus modeled and taught us how to live in a healthy, holy relationship with God and with one another. Whether or not you believe that Jesus is God, if you take a look at his teachings, you're going to learn very quickly a way that a person can have peace with God and peace with his fellow man. We believe that he modeled those things and taught them very well. Secondly, we believe that the death of Jesus Christ, while incredibly tragic, was a part of an elaborate plan on God's behalf to break the power of the things that have been breaking people forever, to break the power of the things that have been enslaving people forever. But if that seems too incredibly cruel and and, and difficult for you to imagine, understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was another part, a follow-up in that incredibly complex and mysterious plan that God had to see to it that human beings would one day be liberated and really be free in spirit and in mind. Unfortunately, we seem to be dragging around these bodies that haven't got the message yet, right? A little bit of a backache, a little bit of a lag in the, in the physical end of this, but real liberty for humans in spirit and in mind. We also believe that any human being who wants those things, any human being who, who wants that kind of life is invited into a relationship with God. And the, the way into that relationship is through faith in Jesus and what he taught Paul said, so you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Ruler and authority, well, that's, that's kingdom language, right? Yeah. He's talking about a very real and yet magical kingdom. The, the kingdom of God is defined as this. It's not imaginary. It's not theoretical. It's real, but it isn't physical, In fact, the kingdom of God consists of the people who feel drawn his direction and connect with him through faith in Jesus Christ and then live their lives in this world in the middle of the rest of the brokenness of this world, experiencing the peace of God, the love of God, and the help of God for doing life. And the kingdom of God, my friends, is available anyone who wants to become a citizen therein. This kingdom, though, is a little bit, it's not a little bit, it's a lot different than the other kingdoms. And it's why you think that it may just be theoretical. It may just be a metaphor that the writers of Scripture use to describe some kind of faith or religion. But this is a kingdom, and it is a magical kingdom because... um, it, it has uh, about itself some things that aren't true of other kingdoms. In the kingdoms of men, we see things like thrones and, and crowns and kings. And in the kingdom of God, those things are all just kind of hidden from view. In the kingdoms of men, we see a lust for power. We see the pursuit of great wealth, and we see a desire to control nations and and lands, vast tracts of it. And in the kingdom of God, those things are just irrelevant. So we don't bother ourselves with them. And this kingdom, unlike all the kingdoms of men, the scriptures teach us, will have no end. Every kingdom you ever read about, 
is over or on its way. The kingdom of God, the scriptures teach us, will have no end. Let me ask you a question today. How would you like to be a a part of a movement? How would you like to be a part of a way of life that looks past all the power plays of human beings, looks past um, all all the things that, that, that tend to grind people into subhuman forms? How would you like to be a part of of a movement and a way of life that values people more than wealth? Nod your heads, because that's a big one. How would you like to be a part of something that uh, doesn't concern itself with political boundaries because it's greater than all of them? That, my friends, is life in the kingdom of God. And it's open to you today Listen for just one more minute, though, about how how Paul talked about getting into this kingdom and, and living within it. He said, when you came to Christ... He's talking to people who'd already entered the kingdom. When, when you come to Christ, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature wasn't yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them by publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He goes on to write, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. A few moments ago, you saw a couple of people who chose to be baptized, just as Paul wrote about in this passage. They'd they'd begun a relationship with God in which they recognized, like Pastor Blake taught us, that the the wrong things that we do seem to have a a greater lasting effect than we want them to have. And just as when when I wronged Katie, it puts some distance in my relationship with Katie, when I... If I keep wronging Katie, it puts more and more distance between me and Katie. The same thing happens with God because life is a relationship with God and people. But he makes it possible for us to be reconciled, to get back together with the God that our hearts have always longed for. And the Christian faith offers this wedding ceremony, this this chance for us to, to avow our love for God and to receive his love for us. And just as there's some kind of relationship prior to the wedding, most of the time, um, there often is some, some relationship with God prior to the moment of baptism, usually so. But baptism becomes this important moment when friends and family show up and they wish you and the God that you are taking as your own a very happy life together. 
Just as marriage has some bumps and some hurdles and some difficulties, relationship between God and human beings does too. But uh, with the help of friends and family and teachers, we, we, we find a way together to keep going forward in this relationship with him. I hope that if you're here today, that one, you either have already experienced these things, or two, you're interested in them. And while this is what I do for a living, I stand in front of crowds and I explain the Bible and, and its moral teachings and its spiritual teachings and, and uh, religious teachings, um, I've just got to tell you, I would starve to death if I were a salesman. Uh, I, I, I don't have it in me to put the pressure on. But I do like to offer invitations to, to anyone who wants to know more and anyone who wants to know the God who's given himself to us in this way. The invitation works like this. God offers it and offers himself to you and, and life in this magical, real kingdom that I've described. And while you're contemplating the business of whether that is real, I would just say this. Seated all around you today are many, many people who have found that God is real and his kingdom is real. And and they live within that kingdom while they go to jobs that are less than ideal and they find hope and they find strength. They live in this kingdom while they live with their families and work through some of the difficult stuff of relationship with the people that we live with. And they find help and they find hope and they find the ability to humble themselves and and seek forgiveness and reconciliation with their families. There are people seated all around you who can tell you about very real financial pressures and very real comfort because they live in the kingdom of God while they struggle with money. People who make it through sickness and some who don't. They're family members who are worried and who grieve, but they live in the kingdom while they do it. They find strength and comfort and help. And the kingdom of God is available to you today in all those hard things. It's also available to you in the very good things of life in which you and I can experience a peace and a joy that the hardest knocks in life never seem to manage to dislodge. If you would like to experience life in these terms, life in this magical kingdom, the way to do so is to get reconnected with the God who made you. Jesus himself said, I'll make a way for you to do that. And this whole crucifixion thing is about him saying, I'll take all the punishment for all the wrong that was ever done. If there's a sacrifice that needs to be made to a God, I'll be the sacrifice. He just said, I'm going to take away all of the things that keep people from God. And all you have to do is trust that what he did was enough and that God himself stands there open arms toward you today. If you'd like to have a conversation with him, God would like to have a conversation with you. And, and maybe you could have a, a, a conversation like Pastor Blake led the, the children through. I'm not going to offer you a script. Repeat after me. I think you know how to have a conversation with God that says, I have felt a long way from you. 
I'm feeling drawn toward you. Here are the things that seem to separate us. I think you know how to say I love you and and I accept your love. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that right now while we pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord, it's an incredibly complicated message at some levels. This this scheme, this plan from from eternity past where, where you entered the human race and worked with it with all of its faults and weaknesses and failures and sins and There's sacrifice and there's a resurrection from the dead and it's hard to get my mind wrapped around all of that. But I do understand at first hearing that you love me, that you want me, and that you will do whatever that you have done, whatever it takes to make it possible for us to reconcile. Lord, for my friends who are here today, who are leaning your direction, saying, God, I want some of that. I don't even know how much of that under I understand, but I know I want to be experiencing something like that magical life that Cliff was experiencing. And I pray you just meet them where they are. If they need more faith than they've got, give it to them. But meet them where they are, Lord, and hear the prayers that they are breathing toward you right now while we wait in just one more moment of silence. Lord, I have great faith that you can see past all of my faults and foibles and those of my friends. I have great faith that you're generous enough to be good to us when we don't quite get all the formulas right, when we don't know what to say and we don't know how to pray, but our hearts are leaning in your direction. I believe that you're good enough and gracious enough and kind enough to say, come here and to welcome us into relationship with you. So Lord, welcome today those who are walking toward you. If they're taking little baby steps of faith, take that seriously, God. And I pray that you would give them forgiveness, spiritual life, hope, strength, and great joy. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's what I'd like to do. Before, before we... There's a couple of other things in the service that are they're deeply meaningful. And as Peter mentioned earlier, it's, it's a lot of the one-year life of the church crammed into to one day. And so here in a few moments, we're going to share in Holy Communion. But first, we're going to uh, sing some more songs of, of praise together. And as we do, I just want to invite you to, to not worry about the music so much as it is to continue a conversation with God that you've been having this morning. If you've got a lot of thank yous to say to him, 
turn these in, these songs into thank yous. If you've got uh, a, a lot of things that on your mind that you'd like to praise him for because you just experience life as very full and good, then why don't you just make this a session in which you give God a public pat on the back. And if what you would like this morning is to maybe, for the first time in your life, sense God coming close, why don't you breathe your first prayer of faith and say, God, my life is open to you. Will you, will you come close to me and reveal yourself to me now? And uh, we're going to take a, a, a few minutes of musical worship for you to do each of those things. Please understand that if you'd like to stand, you may do so. If you'd like to remain seated, you can do so. These wooden benches at the front are also altars where people often come and kneel to pray. And if you would like to use them in that way, you're certainly welcome to do so.